Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, morning, afternoon, evening. Welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Hayley Doyle. She's an actor and a West End star turned author who's just released her second book, Love Almost. We talk about why her writing life is essentially just juggling. Juggling lockdown, juggling family, and juggling anything else that can be thrown up into the air. Also, you can hear why a risky late edition has been so well received in the book. And we talk about overwriting. How much control do you really have about doing a little bit too much? I never think that what I'm writing won't get used. I don't go into it thinking I've got to write this because I need to get it out of my system and then I'll delete it. It's more that I write it and I think it's okay. And then I'm like, "Ah, no. Or then an editor will say, I really like that. Can you save that for a different story? There is more on the way with Hayley Doyle in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine. My name's Dan Simpson. Thanks for being there, for streaming, following, downloading, however you're listening. I really appreciate it. This is the show where we take a look inside an author's working day. And this week, it's Hayley Doyle, actor writer, scouser. We talk about all three, really, in some detail. How her acting life, starring in Mamma Mia on the West End, influenced her writing. You can also hear how she balances planning and plotting with her desire to be spontaneous. And on the scouse thing, coming from Liverpool, I'm always fascinated by geography and by heritage and how that shapes what character you have and, and also how you tell the stories. I've touched on this before with other writers, but we discussed with Hayley what makes a Scouser really such a good storyteller. Now, her new book is Love Almost. It's the second after Never Saw You Coming. It's all about Chloe, whose boyfriend Jack dies after they've been together for just five months. So to make sense of it all, she she makes a list of all the things they had planned to do together, and then she, she cracks through them on her own. You can hear about where that idea came from, how it all came to her quite quickly, really, how she worked on the characters and how she likes to mix up genre fiction, too. 
Now, we recorded this a little while ago, um, kind of at the start of this year, really, when we were thrown into lockdown two or three or whatever it was. So some of those references like might be a little bit dated. Amazing how like six months can date something so much. But, you know, push on with it. And we kick things off, as we always do, with what Hayley Doyle sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Okay, so I'm sat at my desk, which was originally my husband's desk. And now it's sort of, it's morphed into mine now because of the whole working from home situation. Um, It's in my bedroom. And I'm lucky I've got a gorgeous big window, big window right opposite me, uh, which overlooks um, our garden. I live in a flat and we've got a gorgeous communal garden with lovely big trees. Obviously, there's no leaves on the trees at the moment, but there are some um, nice fir trees in the distance I can see. And um, I'm sort of quite high up. We're only on the second floor, but we're on a hill. The house that we live in is on a hill. So I can see really far. So it's a pretty awesome view I've got here. Um, through the window. Uh, my desk is uh, it's, it's big and wooden uh, with filing cabinet drawers, which are a bit annoying because we I don't actually file anything. So they've just got things like my bags <laughs> in one. So when I open it, all my bags fall out. So I do need to get a little bit better organised with that. I've got a lovely big globe of the world on the desk. And my little laptop is sat in front of my husband's big um, desktop computer because he's a designer. And um, yeah, that's everything I can see at the moment. Oh, my little boy's homeschooling book is right next to me as well. We did our first hour of homeschooling this morning. So um, his little homework book is there as well. If you were to move your eyes around you, around the walls, what is there to inspire you? Paintings, pictures, maybe a whiteboard full of plot points? So um, at the moment, I've just got, um, there's a big uh, photograph, a big blown up photograph on the wall of our bedroom. It's like on a huge canvas that my husband took of, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Anthony Gormley installation in Crosby Beach in Liverpool, which is, um, it's called um, Another Place. And it is a hundred cast iron, like six foot, maybe they're they're eight foot, a hundred like men who stand looking out to sea all across Crosby Beach. And if uh, you haven't seen it, look it up. It's so haunting and beautiful. And it's really iconic for Crosby Beach in Liverpool, which is uh, it's the it's the closest um, it's one of the closest towns to where I'm from and where I was brought up, and it's the town where I went to school. And um, we went there a few summers ago, and um, we took this photograph, and it's just of one of the figures looking out onto sea with the beautiful sun sort of um, tickling the waves. It looks gorgeous, and it's a really lovely, inspiring, very very calming picture. And that's there, blown up on my wall. Sometimes makes me a little bit homesick, but I do love living down in London as well. So, um, yeah. And I've got a notebook beside my bed all the time, just in case um, anything pops into my head and um, I don't want to forget it. Um, I actually got a really nice new notebook for Christmas off my sister, which has got my name printed on it, which is lovely. Um, oh, so you yeah. always know it's yours. That's, I mean, it's, it's not. It's not going to go very far uh, this year. The way things are turning no. out, but still, it's always nice. Yeah. Um. Listen. Let me ask you about uh, the identity of where you grew up in Liverpool. Uh, I, I've been. I've been made very aware of this recently. Uh, I grew up in. I mean, in the home counties, which is pretty much identityless, and I'm always very jealous of you know, people who, who. I mean, I have to say, it's mainly in the north. 
perhaps in Wales and Cornwall as well, but places like um, Manchester and Liverpool and, and Newcastle, the, the writing that you read from these places seems to be full of identity of where the author grew up. How much did, did, did your upbringing, uh, in, in particularly uh, near, near Liverpool, uh, how much did that affect the way that you tell your stories and what you write about, do you think? Oh, it's it's completely instilled within me. It's everything. Um, Scousers, we like. To, I think we like to think of ourselves as storytellers. Uh, we've always got a story and an anecdote, whether it's a, something funny, something dramatic to tell. Yeah, we're just a big gang of storytellers who love chatting, love gossiping. Um, you know, just love describing things, love doing impressions, love making people laugh. So, I just grew up around these kinds of people, and. Um, you know, I wanted to write from a very, very young age. I just love telling stories. I used to, you know, I used to be an actress. I kind of followed the storytelling into acting and it brought me back around to writing. But whenever I write anything, and even when this is when um, I started out writing novels in sort of my mid 20s, I was sort of playing around with it. Um, my characters, my main characters are always from Liverpool. And I think that's quite common for most writers. You, you write what you know. But then as I started to do my master's in writing as well, and I started to sort of um, find my voice as a writer. It became much more, um, much more grounded in Liverpool and Liverpool's culture and Liverpool's people. And even though I hadn't lived there for quite a few years, and then you know I ended up moving to Dubai for uh, seven years, and I've moved back to London. And yet, still, my writing and this is the stuff that's getting published now is very, very grounded in Liverpool. And I just think it, it's like what you said, you know, when you're from places like this, the culture is so strong, it never leaves you. And no matter what I do, my characters are always very, very colourful Liverpool people with, um, you know, with, with huge personalities or with huge uh, emotions or ideas. And um, yeah, that'll never leave me. So it, it's kind of everything. And it's definitely, you know, with my second book coming out now, um you know, that's two books What that has got that whole culture um, really, really instilled within it. So I, I think I'm just going to keep doing that going forward. And that's not to say that I only write Liverpool characters and things set in Liverpool at all. I mean, the, 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 book, the new book that's coming out, Love Almost, is set in London and a few other countries. Um, it just so happens that the main character and her family are all from Liverpool. So... Um, you know, it's not just a tale set in Liverpool, whereas the first book, Never Saw You Coming, was half set in Liverpool and half set in Dubai. So, um, yeah, and who knows what I'll write next, but I'm sure there'll be some sort of um, Liverpool culture in there for sure. Now, you say that Scousers love to tell stories. The answer to this might be come from a history that, you know, was way before your time. Um why do you think that is? It's kind of like people from Ireland, isn't it? The Irish known for, for spinning incredible yarns. Um, where do you think that that comes from? Um, well, it could be that we were a port, so we have uh, like a lot of different nationalities, um, backgrounds uh, coming in and out of the city. Um, I think um, you know maybe the struggles that Liverpool's had. You know that when you come from a city that's had kind of um, poverty or um, you know political struggles and things like that. Um, people kind of they they come together as we know of this year you know when people sort of come together and and unite and and that creates stories 
Um, it could be, any, you know, there's, there's loads of reasons, but I think a lot of it to do is to do with the port and people coming in and out of the city. Before all of this craziness, um, you know, my, I, I only had one child at the time because I've since had another baby since all this um, started. Um, and my little boy would go to nursery and I would go to my gorgeous local coffee shop and I would sit there and I would write and I would have breakfast and lunch there. <laughs> it became my office. Um, and, I've, you know, they're amazing at this, this lovely little coffee shop. And it was, it was nice because as writing is a very, very sort of lonely job. Um, until you get, you know, really into your characters and then your characters in your head become like your colleagues, <laughs> which sounds a bit weird. Um, but it's nice to, I like getting out to actually see real people. And it's nice because um, the coffee shop is such a, it's, it's the heart of the community in Honor Oak Park. So I was seeing, you know, lots of the same faces every day. So it was kind of like going into work and, you know, just saying hello to someone, having a cup of tea with them. Um so that's what I was doing there. And then I would um, come home and maybe then read through everything that I'd written that morning and edit it down and make it the best it can be. Because um, there's some writers who like to just bash out the whole book or like bash out a whole chapter and just keep going and then go back and rework it. I really like spending time on each little section. So if I do a chapter, I will take my time with it. Then I'll go back and re-edit it. And I do it that way. Um, that's that's seems to be what works best for me at the moment. Anyway, all of this happened, and now <laughs> when I write, um, that's why I've moved into into the bedroom desk that I described earlier. Um, during the first lockdown, when we had the glorious weather, um, my husband was able to take the kids into the garden. And I would have the window open and I could hear them playing or fighting. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I would just, I would, I would write um, for a few hours a day that way. And that's kind of how I re-edited and finished Love Almost. Now I'm about to start um, a third novel very soon. Um, we didn't expect homeschooling to start the day. <laughs> The thing is, though, I've always written really well late at night. And that's because it's quiet. Um, I don't get distracted by WhatsApp in friends or family messaging. I've kind of, you know, done my social media nosing for the day. I've I've got nothing else to do. You know, when the, the, the flat's tidy, the chores are done, the children are asleep. And I do find writing late at night very very easy and I did before I had children as well I, I you know because I sort of had the beauty of not having that extra responsibility so I could just keep writing and writing but now even though I find writing at night easy it's just hard because I've got to get up so early with the kids so I might allow myself blocks of okay this week's going to be tough but I'm going to write late into the night for a week and know I'll be tired and then the week later give myself a bit of a break so there's a lot of juggling that life of sitting in my local coffee shop um, it just seems like a very blissful little dream at the moment. Oh, yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm afraid it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're writing during the day, um, perhaps when your husband does take the kids out to the garden, do you, it, although you do prefer working in the evening, do, do you tend to give yourself a, a consistent time every day just to try and 
I guess, kind of wrestle the words in so they know when they need to come out? Yes. Um, I mean, it is difficult because, you know, uh, you do have days when you write stuff and then you end up deleting it all. But it, I've learned, because I've now done this for um, a few years now, it you can't beat yourself up about that. It's part of the process. To write and thousands of words and for them to never get used, it doesn't mean you're failing. It just means it's. But you, you're never going to get to where you to the end product without doing that and that's easy for me to say now that I've got two two published books because I look at those books that are as perfect as they'll ever be for that story and what I aim to write and I couldn't have got it to that standard without getting rid of you know 10,000 words um in in an earlier section of the book that weren't working if I would have kept those words even though I put my heart and soul into them it wouldn't have been right for the final version. So I now know not to beat myself up about that, but that's hard, you know, um, getting rid of, you know, sometimes having days where you've you've written a lot, but you know it's not going to work. Or sometimes you have days when you don't even write anything and it's really hard to, and you're staring into space. I've had those days a lot in this last year where I'm just like, I don't know what to write. It's not coming to me at all. And the best thing to do is to stop and do something else. Just, you know, do anything else other than sit at your computer but it's very hard to just wait and hope the inspiration comes um so there's, there's lots of different ways around it really and um I don't really set to a strict set myself to a strict routine but that is because there's a lot of juggling going on and um I would say if I did have to stick to any kind of routine it is very good sometimes to actually look at the clock and say I'm going to just write solidly for 30 minutes and I'm not going to look at my phone and I'm not going to get distracted by anything and nine times out of ten those 30 minutes go really quickly you've written something and you want to carry on and I always try and tell myself that that's the best way to work. In an ideal normal day so not a dream one but in in as best a regular day as you can carve out for yourself how much will you end up getting done? I like to if if, if it's a, if, if it's a day where I know I'm gonna, you know, get my writing time in, um, like a proper working day as an author. I like to get three thousand words down, which is about it's about the length or a nice length of a, a chapter in one of my style of books. My chapters can vary. Um, I, I know in Never Saw You Come, in one chapter's one sentence long, but that's unusual. Um, but most, I'd say, most of my writing the chapters are between three and 4,000 words. Um, yeah, unless it's a particularly long chapter or a particularly short one or a very short one, like chapter 12, I've never saw you coming, um, which is actually everyone's favourite chapter as well. <laughs> I've had so many messages about that chapter. I get these lovely little uh, message, messages on Instagram from strangers who are reading it going, love chapter 12. <laughs> Let me ask you about that very quickly. I mean, this is completely not on topic and you, you you probably don't want to say what the sentence is just because it might be a little spoiler um did you did you know that that was going to be the case before you wrote that sentence had you always planned to have this really impactful sentence and have a chapter to close it off um how, how did the idea that you were going to do that come to you well um it was one of the last additions to the entire book um and it, I think um, it probably, I have to chug my memory here. I think um, my editor mentioned that it would be really nice to get a little bit more of the male character 
to break up. I, there were quite a few long chapters of the female character because my first book, Never Saw You Come In, is told from the male perspective and the female perspective, both in first person. So it's quite a lot of like, it's almost like a lot of internal monologues from each character, what he's thinking then, what she's thinking. I think we had this big section of her and I was advised, could we break it up a little bit with 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 the character Jim? And the thing is, Jim is just so fed up and he's just got nothing to say. He's just had enough. So I broke it up with that. And he basically just says, I've got nothing to say about this terrible situation or something. He probably swears, actually. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, yeah, it's just kind of like he's saying, you know, if you think I've got anything to say about this mess, I haven't. Did you think your editor would um, would allow that to happen? Or were you, was it perhaps like a risky dare to do it? Oh, it was a risk. <laughs> and then and I think it paid off because I've had a lot of uh, really good feedback about it. If people don't like it, they haven't told me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice of the internet for once to not say yes. they don't like something. Um, <laughs> let me ask you about overwriting that you mentioned earlier. This is something that quite a few authors have said that they are happy to overwrite. And without being, you, you know, critical or anything like that it it I'm always curious because if you know that you're going to write a few thousand words that you don't need why don't you try and stop that happening I don't think you know until you've finished that's the kind of problem you know I never think that what I'm writing won't get used I don't go into it thinking I've got to write this because I need to get it out of my system and then I'll delete it it's more that I write it and I think it's okay and then I'm like no or then an editor will say I really like that but can you save that for a different story <laughs> um so it, it, it definitely works that other way around and that's what I mean like when I said before that I I now know it's part of the process because it used to upset me as I know it upsets a lot of writers because you get really precious because you know you've, you've put a lot of time and effort into it um especially if you know you've dug deep and you know you've you've unlocked you know an emotion or a memory of yours and twisted it into fiction um that's not easy to do um and then to sort of know okay to make this the best story it's going to be that's got to go I'm quite spontaneous with my ideas and my writing always have been uh, even when um I worked as an actress I, I like that um I was never too much of a planner with how I was going to do things um whenever I did plan the stuff, it usually never went to plan anyway. So I'm very good at thinking on my feet. So when I get into the zone of a chapter and I I get that feeling it's going well, um, I kind of just let this spontaneity take over. And in in that, in that sense, I let the characters take over. So dialogue is great for that. Um, I love writing dialogue. Um, and when two characters are having a lot of banter or even maybe if there's three of them thrown in there I can write that out quite fast and it it's it's brilliant actually it's it's a lovely thing when the characters almost take over your thoughts and you know you think that they're going to say no no and then they suddenly say yes you're suddenly typing yes when you thought they were going to say no and the scene goes a certain way and that's the the, the spontaneity of all the creativity coming together um I, I don't plan out too much, but when it comes to plot, um, I'm learning to get better at planning that out. So what happens, like there's sort of intricacies within a scene and, and how characters develop and how they speak and things like that is very, very spontaneous. But overall plot and how things work out, 
definitely needs planning and it's something I'm still working on. What 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 form does that planning take then, Hayley? So when you have an idea for a book, um, what do you like to know about the entire story before you start typing that first sentence? Well, I like to know how it's going to end. Um, and funny enough, we never saw you coming. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I just had these two characters, especially with um, the male character, Jim, so clear, so clear in my head. And I knew what was going to happen to him to get the story started off. You know, I knew what the chaos was going to be that he had to then make a decision to go with or to turn against. But I didn't know how it was going to turn out for him as I know with, with Zara either. And it took a lot of brainstorming and a lot of time. But um, with Love Almost, I I really figured out how it would end better before I started writing. And then I got then bogged down with what happens in the middle? What, how does she go on? And say, how does Chloe go on this journey? So, um, yeah, I, I need to know how it's going to end. Otherwise, I do get myself a bit stuck in a rut. I can't just go with the flow. But you know what I find is is brilliant is post-it notes. So um, I just write down every idea for the whole book um, on post-it notes, like a little sentence of each, and say then I've got 50 post-it notes. I'll put them in an order then, and then I can work towards the order. And I've found the post-it notes work really well for the second edit because the second edit is really, um, in my experience, is that's the big game changer. Your first draft, is you think you've kind of cracked it, and then you realise you've kind of got to dissect the whole thing and chop things around and add things in that sound easy. But then when you come to it, you think, well, if I add that in, then we're going to have to change that bit and that bit and that bit. So writing out loads of sentences of what's happening plot wise on post-it notes and then putting them into an order, almost like a jigsaw, just putting them into an order. And then I can start from the top of the pile, which is the first chapter or the prologue and just work down. And that has been a brilliant, brilliant help for me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
There's more on the way with Hayley Doyle in just a sec. Just quickly popping up to remind you, if you're enjoying the show, if you're enjoying the two podcasts that we're bringing you a week now, you've got the main Friday episode, more or less Friday anyway. I know we were a little bit late last week. That wasn't my fault. Let's move on. You've also got that bonus episode, uh, just a little bit of motivation, a very short episode, a little sneak peek inside the author's working day, looking back at some of the authors that we've spoken to before. If it's helping you out, if it's helping you get your words down, uh, you can always help us out at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just a couple of dollars a month really goes a long way and it can get you merch. It can get you even more bonus stuff. There is always a way for your book to sponsor the show as well. And, And as always, you'll get our unending gratitude. Uh, I promise a little really goes a long way. It helps us keep bringing you chats with all forms of authors, some of the best around as often as we can. Uh, If you'd like more of it, if you'd like to support the show, uh, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it with Hayley Doyle then, talking about her second novel, Love Almost. It's all about Chloe, who sets off on a mission to do all of the things that she had planned with her late boyfriend after they'd only been together for five months. How do you make sense of that? Now, it sounds like quite um, like quite a grief-filled novel, but it's a joyful love story, really. Uh, you can hear why film music helps Hayley with her ideas, how she puts the things in that readers expect from genre fiction, but also how she gets creative, how she likes to mix things up. And we discuss how acting... She was a West End star, she was in Mamma Mia, how that influences writing. And we pick it up with post-its. How did she discover the joy of editing with a post-it note? I was actually chatting to um, a man who work, who's worked in film. And it was his suggestion to use post-it notes. To We were just having a chat about you know, about creativity, about films and books and stories and, you know, writing stories. Um, I was having a chat to him in that, in the, in the coffee shop, actually. And he said, um, he said he just always found post-it notes really, really easy. Any idea you've got for your plot, anything that happens or that, that pivotal moment where the character says, no, I don't love you anymore or something like that, write that. that that's one post-it note. Um, you know, getting on the plane and going to Vietnam that's that just put that on the post-it note and yeah I, I, and then because it's the kind of thing you know you can sit down at home you can put it on you know you can sit on the carpet and put all the post-it notes out and look at them all and, and you know put them in and then you can think actually that part might work better later when she meets him or when he says this so yeah you, you can treat it like a jigsaw puzzle that way then We've spoken about the start of, of your day and, and how you know what you're writing. On the on the flip reverse of that, how do you know when you're when you're done every day? Uh, are you someone that just sticks to uh, finishing a chapter, or do you like to leave things hanging just to give you something to crack on with? Oh, it's difficult because my life isn't my own anymore <laughs> with a one year old and a four year old. So um, I usually just have to stop when when. Um, I've got to get, run to the rescue or something when when my husband needs a bit of extra support. <laughs> bath time. <laughs> it's bath time. Um, but it's so what I will do then. So if I'm if I'm in the zone of writing or editing uh, a book, like I was, say with Love Almost during the first lockdown, April May time it was, um, and I have to stop and 
it's very, very difficult for me to stop because I'm really in the flow, but I've got no choice. I'm going to have to help get the kids, kids out the bath. I will plan to come back to it, but you know what usually happens is when I've then got the time to go back to it, children are in bed, had something to eat, and I think, right, I'm going to carry on with that chapter. My mind's actually switched off by that point, which is actually, which is good. So then I can come back to it with sort of a fresh mind the next day. And then I'm glad I didn't rush it the night before. So sometimes getting dragged, for me, getting dragged away when I don't want to be is good for me. Otherwise, I'll just keep going and going and going. Because like I said, I, I think I mentioned earlier, like before I had children, I would just keep right into the night. And sometimes I was going to bed at four in the morning. Um, because there was no, there was nothing to kind of stop me. I was like, I'm, I, you know, it's only me who has to deal with being tired tomorrow. I can, I can pull through this. But now I've got sort of other things dragging me away. It's good because it means I don't then overdo it. And then, I, you know, it's always good to sleep on your ideas. Always good. And then the next day I can look at it and go, ah, actually, I'm glad I didn't finish that last night because I wouldn't have thought of doing it this way. Or actually, I'm going to just go back on that bit. And yeah, so that works for me anyway. It probably wouldn't work for a lot of people. (laughs) Now, you mentioned earlier on how if you are stuck, sometimes you'll you'll just do something else to take your mind off it. Is there anything else that you have during the day that just helps you out? That, that helps with the words, perhaps a particular piece of music or, or a coffee at a certain time of day? Oh, yeah, going for a walk. Or well, going for a walk's brilliant. Um, yeah, just even if, you know, I'll, I'll stop and I'll just go, right, I'm just going to, I'm going to walk down to the shop and just get some lunch. Something like that is just brilliant. Um, you know, the, the school run, I was always thinking of ideas when I was w- walking in the school run because it's like a 15-minute walk to pick up my little boy. So, um if I'm in the zone of writing, I won't listen to my music or I won't listen. I love listening to audiobooks when I'm walking around, but I won't. I will just listen to my thoughts and I'll sort of, you know, um, just walk up and down the pavements, do that, do that, uh, that walk on my own. And I just think I, I'm just creating the scenario in my head as I'm walking. And I really, really like that. And it, it, it's, it's brilliant. I've always found that, that really, really helpful. Um, if I'm trying to think of a brand new idea, especially if it's something like, um, you know, if I've got to pitch a new book idea, um, listening to music is great. And I love listening to film music, uh, like film, just um, instrumental film soundtrack music. Um, I remember listening to um, the Forrest Gump music, uh, the theme tune to that. And I was walking and there's a lovely big um, hill by where I live called Blythe Hill. And as you walk up it, you get this gorgeous view of uh, Canary Wharf and London Bridge in the distance. And it was a really gorgeous day. And it sounds so cheesy. But as I kind of got to the top of the hill, that's where that beautiful music in Forest Gump just really kicked in. And like, you know, it makes your heart heart sore. And it was just such a gorgeous moment. And you just get inspired to want to write like gorgeous characters that are going to go on a fantastic adventure and meet people and they're gonna you know fall in love and get their heart broken you just you get these feelings you think okay what can I do how can I how can I create a great story and I think film music is really great for that now the new book is is love almost um Hayley tell us about the moment the very first moment where the idea for this story came into your head okay so it's a quite a bizarre one really 
Um, but you know, the, the mind of a writer is never <laughs> not bizarre, really. Um, so, uh, oh, when was it? It was about eight years ago. Uh, I went to, I went on holiday with my boyfriend, who's now my husband, my boyfriend at the time. It was our first holiday together. Um, we went to Thailand. And when we were in Bangkok, uh, we took a photograph um, in the city of Bangkok. And it was this uh, man who was sat in a shopping trolley, sat outside McDonald's. And a lot of people were taking photographs of this guy because he was sat in the shopping trolley. And he was really, really happy for people to just take pictures. He, you know, he's doing the, the peace sign to some people and whatever. It was just a really bizarre image. And we took a photo of it. And it turned out to be a brilliant photo. It was really sharp. The guy was looking straight down the lens of the camera. And we loved the picture so much that we actually um, had it blown up and put it on the wall. And it's still in our kitchen now. And I'd, we'd sort of joked over the years, oh, I wonder what he's doing now. Who is that guy? I wonder what his name was, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. And when I had to think of a, an idea for my second book, it just was a bit of a joke. I was like, I should write about him, what he's doing now. And that's where the seed was planted. It was like, do you think I could? And then I was like, no, no, I, d- I didn't want to write about a culture I really don't know about. And I didn't want to, you know, second guess. And I didn't have the opportunity to go back to Thailand and immerse myself in that. So I was like, okay, how can I use that notion, though, to create a story? So that's where I created this couple who um, loved this picture and wanted to go back there. And that's kind of where it came from. So when Chloe loses Jack, her partner, which we know at the beginning, there's no spoilers there. Um, that's the picture that connects her to what she's going to do with her life from that moment on. So uh, it was just a fun picture that was taken and it's real and it, it, that photo is real and it exists in my kitchen. But then this entire sort of tree was grown from this seed this whole story that is completely fictional and uh, very very sad and I really had to immerse myself in um how Chloe would feel um but it all started from a photo that was taken on holiday you you mentioned the the the, the tree coming from the seed without um terribly trying to you know crowbar a metaphor in but what what did you do as 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 a gardener uh, as a writer to kind of you know, help that seed go. So when you've you've had that initial idea about the the dude that's in the that, that's given the peace sign in Thailand, and then you think, hang on, that might not work. Wh- what do I know? What did you do next when you've got that initial idea? What happened next before you started writing? So I saw. So so I said, okay, well, if this couple want to go and find him, I was like, that again, that's going to be really hard. And then what do they do? You know, th- 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 I didn't feel like there was a story there. And I said, well, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? We always need like the worst thing that can happen at the beginning of a story so that there's a journey to go. And I was like, well, so one of the couples got to die. One of them's going to have to die. So I'm going to kill off the guy because I can then connect to how the female would feel, Uh, especially because with Never Saw You Come in my first book, because it's written half from the male point of view. I've and and he was the he was the character I started with, even though it's very much fifty percent Jim and fifty percent Zara in Never Saw You Coming. I felt Jim was the one that was that was that was my thoughts and emotions. So this time I wanted to do it from the female perspective. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to kill off the guy, <laughs> and then there I felt like I had a story because I had then a, a a woman 
grieving with quite a bonkers idea of what to do to get through her grief. And then that way, that's step by step. That's how the story I, I knew I, I had like um, a character. I had uh, a tragedy and I had a journey. So then I could start creating um, a proper beginning, middle and an end of a story then. Without giving too much away, I knew what couldn't happen. <laughs> so I had to work around that. If you know what I mean? I do. Um, yeah, I, I knew I, I couldn't have her. No, I don't, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give the ending away. But I definitely knew where I didn't want it to go to make it too sort of airy-fairy. So I knew I had to keep it grounded. And then I had to find a creative and entertaining way to, to keep it there. It's always fun here yeah. in North Square, <laughs> by the way. Um, in, in a story like this, it, it's one that is, is full quite naturally of of joy because chloe she's going on this this journey of uh, of all around the place to try and sort out her grief but also there's a lot of sadness because clearly it's about a boyfriend who's died um how much did you think about the tone and the voice that you were were, were writing this in to, to to make both of those uh, uh parts be as impactful as possible yeah the tone and the voice was really important um i wanted to keep it as light as possible uh, and I know at times um, it could teeter on, you know, uh, being a bit too light considering the subject matter. But, uh, you know, I, I did that mindfully because I didn't want to just write a story that's completely depressing. Um, it's not it's not in my personality to do that. Um, so I just tried at all times to keep I, in the beginning. I even thought of it. Is this, you know, is it quite a dark comedy because of the way people react? to her news and things like that but it definitely grew to be more emotional than than a um than a dark comedy so oh yeah I was really really aware of it and I I I just wanted to keep everything around Chloe really really colorful um big personalities from the other characters you know you've got um Jack's mum who is this uh, tv personality and um you know with a very sharp tongue and um you know we've all seen her on TV, you know, and you've got, you know, with Chloe's mom, who is that um, really, really chatty, opinionated scouse mom, and um, the best friend, who's, um, you know, can be really, really quite harsh with Chloe, but that's what Chloe needs. And then the brother who's really, really lovable in his relationship with his partner. Uh, So I just wanted lots of people basically full of life, so that it kind of, um, we didn't get too bogged down with the fact that someone had lost their life um so it's a, I really wanted it to be a book about living rather than a book about death now without this question sounding too 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 critical at all but in a story like this um you know I'd imagine some aspects of it have have possibly not been done before but you know there are there are stories about people going on a journey to kind of find themselves like this before you're listing some of those characters there and I know that I've seen forms of those before. How much do you think when you're writing a story like this of, of, of slightly twisting the, the genre and, and doing it in a way that perhaps a reader won't have seen? Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard because, um, you know, when I'm coming up with new ideas for future books and I'm chatting to my agent who I've got a brilliant relationship with and, um, you know, we could talk books and ideas all day. I'm really lucky um, with, uh, with, in regards to that. Um, 
you know, we'll be chatting about something. I say, oh, no, stop. That's been done before. We can't do that. And she says, no, you can. You know, Romeo and Juliet has been rewritten and rewritten and rewritten in so many different ways. Uh, And not just ones that are very, very outwardly. This was based on Romeo and Juliet. There are so many love stories that end in a tragedy, which is basically Romeo and Juliet. Um, It doesn't matter you know, we we have to sort of, you know, take inspiration from all the art around us. And there's a reason why people love going back to um, the same kind of stories. You know, I love watching indie films that are, that are, you know, sort of, you know, those sort of sharp-witted, um, really sort of fast-talking scripts that are two people falling in love. But, you know, you know at the beginning that they're, they hate each other, but they end up together. But there's something just about the the style of the writing, the wittiness of it, that just keeps you hooked and watching, even though you know how it's going to end. I love that. And I've seen those films a million times before, but then every film has its uniqueness, whether it be the, you know, the, the script writing or the setting or the way the actors interpret the characters. And I will watch them again and again and again. Um, so I think, you know, writers and creators, we've got to give ourselves a bit of a break and just trust our own uniqueness to tell a story that might have been told before. You know, Love Almost on lots of the reviews is getting compared to P.S. I Love You. Um, I take that as a huge compliment. Um, there was, I think there was only one review out of this, this at the moment, I, I, there's about 150 reviews on NetGalley, and only one has said they were put off by Love Almost because it was too much like P.S. I Love You. Um, and I, I don't really know where that, that's just someone's opinion, but a lot of people have said, if you like P.S. I Love You, you will like this. Or, um, and they've, you know, there's, there's other books as well that they've listed. And I think that's a compliment. And, you know, even my publishers, you know, I'm going to be writing a blog post for my publishers. They want to know um, what 10 books would you recommend to the reader if they enjoyed Love Almost? Um, because people do, they love genre. You know, it's like if you write... Um, if you write crime, there are certain things in that crime novel that people who love reading crime are going to want to expect. You know, you're going to want to expect uh, the detective who maybe lives alone, uh, you know, maybe just has a cat and a terrible love life, but has got this brilliant, sharp mind. You know, these are things that we we expect when we pick up genre fiction. So um, if I think with Love Almost, it, you know, if people want that that tearjerker uh, that they're going to compare to other books, but you know, with with, with a bit of humour in that they might that they might be familiar with from other books that they've read. Then hopefully that'll be fine and it'll it'll satisfy the reader. Now, lastly, and this might be trying to uh, again get kind of crowbar in a link where there isn't one, but you, you said earlier on you 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 were an actor um, and you were in Mamma Mia in the West End. Is that right? Yes, I was. I was indeed. Um, who did you play? I played Ali, who's one of the best friends of Sophie, the main character. Yeah. So, um, w- one of the bridesmaids who jumps around with a diary at the beginning singing Honey, Honey. Brilliant. <laughs> what, what a song to sing as well. Now, yeah. I, I might be making a link where there isn't one, but yeah. what did you learn from being an actor and I guess facilitating someone else's story on stage yeah. that let, what did that teach you about story writing for yourself? Oh, so much. It's uh, I've always said acting and writing go hand in hand. They're best friends. They're married to each other. You can't have an actor without storytelling. You can't have you can't tell stories without brilliant, you know, with, with people wanting to act and bring it all to life. So, um, you know, 
your character has to go on a journey. And, and that's when I write, I, I put myself right in the character's shoes um, and really imagine, you know, I've actually, I put myself in all the character's shoes. Um, and yeah, there's just, you've just, I think, I'm trying to think now with, with my acting training, you know, you always have to have an action to what you're doing and you have to have a, a goal at the end. Um, an overall objective and it's the same with with writing a story your character needs to have an action and needs an overall objective and um I my writing definitely comes from being an actress and I think I went into acting because I loved stories so much so it's definitely all connected and that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thanks so much to Hayley Doyle for coming on the show. You can get her brand new book, Love Almost, using the link wherever you're listening. And it's over at writersroutine.com as well. Next week, uh, we're with the crime and thriller author, Joy Ellis. She was a struggling out-of-print writer. Couldn't really get her work read by anyone for love and money. Now, she's published two million copies. Now, she's sold two million copies in five years and she is an Amazon bestseller. You can hear her story next week on the show. That's with Joy Ellis. In the meantime, follow us wherever you get your podcasts from. Do the same on Twitter. We are at WritersPod there. You can get in touch with us at writersroutine.com, and you can always support the show at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. I will see you next week. Keep your eyes peeled for the bonus episode, Tuesday, Wednesday time, and I'll be... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns back on Friday uh, with Joy Ellis sharing her writer's routine on the show. Until then, bye. Bye.